0: And we're going to talk about this, this great danger that Paul writes about here. It's a really interesting transition takes place. Uh, I'm going to speak to you specifically if you're new to New Hope. Maybe you found yourself here within the last month, maybe three months, and you're wondering where New Hope lands as a church on certain issues. How, how does New Hope define itself? I'm just going to be straight up with you this morning. There's a couple of issues that Jesus speaks to that are supposed to define what a church of Jesus Christ looks like. And Paul hits it really, really hard this morning. It's, it's tough stuff, and yet he chooses to end the book of Romans with this, and this great danger that he warns about is for a reason. And here's why it's a fascinating contrast. We saw last week where he's full of love and he's full of praise and he's just gushing on people. You remember him writing about Phoebe and the 26 individuals who were in Rome and he's talking about all their attributes. And now he makes this hard shift, it looks like in verse 17. Look at this. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. At first, it seems like this really hard shift. Because previously he's got all these expressions of love for the people in the church. But as you study it, you realize that's exactly what godly love does. Godly love does exactly what you see Paul doing here. Because true love for people protects. Love watches out. It has the best interest at heart. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You trained your children not to touch hot things. Stay away from that. That stovetop is hot. It'll burn you. Don't walk in that green stuff over there, it's called poison ivy, you'll get an infection. Godly love does that exact same thing. Love warns, true love warns, so it's the nature of godly love to warn against danger. Jesus loves you, therefore Jesus warns you. If you've not read the Gospels before, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, read the writings of Jesus, it's full of warnings constantly warning individuals. Well, Romans wraps up with this aspect. Two final issues. One will hit next week, and this one this week. This one this week is this great danger. The danger that there's a destruction possible within the church that comes by the undermining of God's Word. Now, it's obvious when false teachers show up at your door When they come to the front door of your house on a Saturday morning and knock on your door and say, Here, we have this pamphlet we want to share with you. Or when they give you a handout and they want to teach you their theology. It's obvious when you hear false teaching that way, it may cause you even to recoil. What's not so obvious is when false teachers creep in among you, when they're right there in the church and introduce lies very, very slowly. Because patience is one of Satan's greatest strengths. And he looks for ways to undermine the church. So Paul gives two things you're supposed to do, and he identifies them by saying, You've got to identify those individuals and you have to avoid them. And we find out right away it's a matter of obedience to Jesus. This is not about making friends, this is not about keeping friends. This is an issue about pleasing the Lord, and he's very specific on this issue. So Paul writes, a mature Christian, in verse 17, is one who keeps their eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Now, dissensions, you probably recognize. Dissensions is like a division or a disunion, but what's a hindrance? How do I understand that? I want you to know that I I don't believe Romans here is talking about minor issues, I don't think it's talking about minor issues of interpretation on things that have real no great significance. There's various views of even immature believers that that might cause you to be disrupted a little bit. But I don't think that's what he's writing about here. I've heard people actually argue over whether or not dogs go to heaven, right? Wherever you land on that issue, the Scriptures don't speak of that. Just because Hollywood makes a movie about it doesn't make it theology. I hear people debate over things like that, and people actually divide over minor issues. This is what Scripture says about minor issues, 2 Timothy 2.23, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. There's things you can speculate about that you don't have to be ignorant about. You can speculate on certain things about heaven, but not things that are ignorant. We're not supposed to speculate about that. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about something vastly more serious. He's warning about those who undermine the teaching which you learned. That's what he wrote. Look with me on the screen at that. Verse 17, Romans 16, those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. What's he referring to? Well, we talked last week about the reality that Mark wrote the book of Mark from Romans or from Rome, that Peter was in the city of Rome. Paul has written this letter to the Romans This is a group of churches within the city of Rome who are well indoctrinated on good, solid theology. They've had the best of the best in their city. They know from the teachings of the apostles, right from them themselves. They've learned directly the teachings which you learned. In other words, they've held God's Word really, really, really high, but Paul's got a warning for them. Because the Word is held high, it doesn't mean it's always going to be held high So Paul wants them to be warned in love. And so if you're wondering where does New Hope stand on the Word of God, at New Hope we absolutely believe that this is God's revealed Word. It is inspired by God. It is inerrant in its original form. And is to be taken seriously as the Word of God. So Paul says in that issue, that's true of the people in Rome, but some will cause hindrances about God's Word. What is hindrance? It's one of the three Greek words in your notes this morning. Look with me on the screen and it's this word scandalon. And you recognize it from the English language, scandal. A scandalon will cause a scandal. And what's a scandalon? Well, it's that bent piece of wood that was used to create a snare for a rabbit or an animal going along its trail. They attach a little rope or a wire to it and when the animal hit that, snap its neck. That's a scandal on. That's the word that Paul borrows and uses here to describe what's going on in this setting. And he says, you have to keep your eyes on those. Identify those false teachers. Identify that false teaching and oppose and avoid it. So he uses the phrase in verse 17, five words, keep your eye on those. This is another word that you recognize from the English language, scopeo. It's the second Greek word in your notes. Scope. Do you own a rifle? Do you own a gun? A scope on your gun? Do you own a microscope? Have you used one in labs? Have you looked through a telescope? What does that do? It doesn't just allow you to look, but a microscope specifically allows you to examine very carefully, to scrutinize, to be really cautious about what you're looking at. Now, mind you, Paul is not talking about a witch hunt He's not talking about going out and looking for problems where there's no problem. What is he talking about then? He's talking about a biblically grounded church which Jesus shed his blood for. So we're not talking about a country club church. We're talking about believers who really legitimately believe that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus died for them. That kind of a church is bonded by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, applies the Word of God, and disciples the people within the church. So Paul's writing, those who are ungodly, they cause ungodly dissensions and hindrances. Those same people, they promote and practice falsehood regarding the truth of God's Word. That's why he says, keep your eye on those ones, scope them out. Don't let that get away. Now, to emphasize the magnitude of the danger we're talking about here, look with me on the screen at Galatians 1.8. It says this. Even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which was preached to you, let him be accursed. In other words, let him go to hell. Now, this is Paul writing to the churches that are in the region of Galatia. And if you go back to verse 6, you're going to find something remarkable in Galatians 1. Paul says to them, I am amazed that you are so quickly departing from the truth. So he goes on in verse 8 and says, even if an angel from heaven came and taught you something other than Jesus is Lord and crucified for your sins, died, buried, rose again, let that one go to hell. Let them be accursed. Now, now here's a caution about Paul's caution. He is not suggesting that we have the right to be rude or that we have the right to cause physical harm to someone. I'm so grateful the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Amen, New Hope? Speak the truth in love. So we're not talking about causing harm and why do I raise that issue? Because during the Crusades and during the era of the Reformation, both the Protestants and the Catholics killed people in the name of Jesus using God to, to glorify what they are doing by saying, God wills it. No, He doesn't. That, that isn't God's actions. And it's not unique to the Reformation. It's not unique to the time of the Crusades. That happened during Jesus' day. There were two guys, James and John, who were Following Jesus as disciples, and Jesus came into a city of the village of the Samaritans, and they weren't so nice to Jesus. They didn't show him any hospitality, they wouldn't receive him. I I want you to watch the reactions of James and John. Luke 9 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They're they're called the sons of thunder for a reason in the Bible, right? These guys have attitude. So Jesus. Likely responds with the same kind of attitude. Watch his response. Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. How am I supposed to respond then? I talked to people after each of the services. Last night, Q&A and Saturday night went 45 minutes. Individuals with questions about, because we all encounter this, whether or not it's in your social circle or within your city, you've seen it on television. What do you do when you encounter this? What's the right response when you encounter false teaching? First response should be this, to clarify if what you're hearing, what someone's presenting is actually intentional because they hold to that as an ideal. They hold to that ideal even though it's contrary to the truth of Scripture, clarify that point first, or if they're more like Apollos, like we looked at last week, where Apollos actually needed Priscilla and Aquila to come alongside and say, what you're teaching is not quite doctrinally correct, and Apollos received it really well and went on teaching with authority and power in the name of Jesus, but you got to decide which one of the two issues is it. But when you're exposed to someone who embraces heresy and they're calling it Christianity, The right response is not diving into an argument. Paul says the right response is actually, verse 17, to turn away. In other words, reject it. You come to a point where you just say, I'm out. You're going to reject what they teach. A good example would be Paul himself when he was in another city. I'll show you this in the book of Acts. He encountered false teaching and he had a response to it. Acts 19, verse 8 And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient and speaking evil of the way, and the way, by the way, are Christ followers evil of the speaking evil of Christ followers, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 9, focus on that. He withdrew from them, meaning he gave no longer any platform for them to speak into his life and to infect other people. So he went across town to the school of Tyrannus taking the disciples with him, and they spent two more years there so that Paul could actually teach them without other individuals on the platform speaking evil of them. He moved on, literally saying, I'm out. So what I'm seeing from Scripture here is you can't debate in that situation. You come to the point where you can no longer debate. What you have to do is denounce. How do you denounce? You exit. You leave that setting. Will they continue to speak falsehoods? Absolutely. Will they continue to speak evil? Absolutely. But you don't have to subject yourself to it. Now, clearly, it is very, very helpful to be in a place where you have knowledge about what false teachers teach, but it is very dangerous to overexpose yourself to it because what you find yourself doing is letting your guard down, and it becomes acceptable after a period of time. What at first shocked you eventually becomes tolerable. And if you don't think that's true of human nature, just look at what's happened in television in the last 30 years in the United States of America. What was shocking 30 years ago is commonplace today. It's part of human nature. We live with something long enough, it becomes acceptable to us. And there is danger if you subject yourself to a steady diet of poor doctrine, you can become subverted. Scripture says to this degree Ephesians 4:14 4, to the point that you become carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming so just a warning from Mark to the church be very very careful about what you let into your household what you let into your homes and what you let into your mind because Satan is extraordinarily patient he has a long-term plan and he waits before he pounces if you think the things that we're talking about here couldn't possibly ever happen at New Hope, I'm here to tell you I know of many Bible churches that are no longer Bible churches. And it goes all the way back to the first century. Paul was warning churches that he planted that this very thing could happen to them. Look at me on the screen. He's speaking to the elders at Ephesus, Acts twenty twenty seven. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. If you've ever been part of an institution or an organization that used to hold very strong godly standards and seems to have moved away, you know exactly what he's talking about here. It's a creep, and it happens over time by individuals coming within and infecting. And Jesus said this would happen. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And here's just a clue. You and I, we are living in the end times, so when Jesus talks about the end times, he's talking about now. And Jesus said this, Matthew 24, about the end times, false Christ and false prophets will arise. So nobody should be shocked because it's not a maybe, it's a will happen. It has happened and you don't have to look very far to see it. So Paul goes on in verse 18, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So very quickly, I'm going to give you two reasons to move away. Why should you reject that and move on? Well, there's two reasons that Paul writes about here in verse 18. Here's the first one, wrong motives. He says right there, they're slaves of their own appetites. So they got the wrong motives, meaning this, no matter how sincere a false teacher might appear, they're not genuinely concerned for the cause of Christ. Christ. Because the cause of Christ, the goal is to, rarely, is to is to bring people to Jesus and rarely do you find those individuals bringing people to Jesus. Rather the goal is this, it's about more money, more power, more influence, more prestige, more acceptability by the world, more, 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 more and less, less, less of Jesus. So Paul writes that these type of individuals in Philippians 3.18, he says they're actually enemies of the cross. Look with me at this, 3.18 from Philippians, these are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Or what Peter wrote, 2 Peter 2, there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." So wrong motives, and here's the second one, wrong results. What's the result? Well, the result Paul wrote right about there, it's destruction. Their smooth and flattering speech, it deceives the heart, so it's destructive. So here's the problem. In the name of bringing people closer to God, what they actually do is drive people further away from Him. So today, in 2019, there's a very popular gospel being presented. It's called the gospel of unity. Let's just make everybody happy. So let's just tolerate. So in the 21st century, what we have is a version of what Paul writes about in the first century. And it reflects this smooth and flattering speech he's talking about. Here's how it disguises itself. It disguises itself as loving. And it sounds like this. Let's just all tolerate each other's views. But the Bible says godly love warns How can you love if you don't warn and we just all tolerate? How is that a match for Scripture? So when they say let's just all tolerate each other's view at the same time, they're denying the truth of the gospel all in the name of unifying people. And if you want to destroy a church and I've seen it happen, just let that group of people veer away from the truth of God's word from the authority of it, it will cause it to collapse, it takes the foundation right up from under it. So here's a good test, want a good test for this? If you hear someone promoting God's love but will not acknowledge God's truth, it's not biblical. If they will not acknowledge the truth of God's word but only the love of God's word, that's not biblical. God commands love, absolutely, but it is never to be separated from the truth that He's revealed because true love warns. Because true love cares, so true love warns. So no matter how well it's disguised, no matter how great the claim to love God is, those who contradict the Word of God, is going to sound harsh. The Bible actually calls them the enemies of God. 2 Corinthians speaks to this, 2 Corinthians 11. False apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their deeds. Now, here's an interesting transition. Paul comes to the next verse, verse 19. And he says, but not you, guys. <laughs> Praise the Lord, not you. This isn't true of you. Watch with me in verse 19. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. So what's he talking about with obedience here? He's talking about obedience to the word of God, not disobedience to the word of God, but obedience to the word of God, specifically obedience to the gospel of Jesus, well, how do I know that? Well, look at the word obedience with me. It's the third and last word in your notes this morning, and you see it on the screen. It's what you would expect it to be for a definition, but it says attentive hearkening. What does that mean? It's not just to hear something. It's to hear something and respond to it. So they're obedient to what they've heard and what they know to be true, and they respond to it. Well, how do you do that? How do you obey the gospel? That's what he's talking about. They're obedient to the gospel. Let's start with 101 here. To be a believer means to recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're a believer in Jesus? You came to the place where you recognized, He's Lord, I'm not. So what the gospel does is the gospel constantly challenges you. Who's on the throne? Is money, is power, is prestige? Is your social circle on the throne? Is your career on the throne? What's on the throne of your life? Is Jesus there or all those things that belong to the world? See, the gospel constantly challenges you. But Paul's saying these believers in Rome, they are protected against the false teachers in their world because of their obedience to the truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus is Lord and He's on the throne. So that's why Paul's saying, praise God for you guys. You're in the belly of the beast and you're holding forth the torch. Interestingly, not only does this obedience protect them, it reverberates. As you look at that as a side note, Paul says, everybody knows about this. And Paul says, I praise you for doing that. So it reverberates and it encourages other people when they see a church that's obedient to the word of God. But Paul is aware that even... The most faithful, the most biblical, the most grounded is susceptible to falling. It can happen. It does happen. It has happened because Satan lays traps. He's got scandalons all over the place and he's very, very patient. So Paul adds in verse 19 I want you to be wise in what is good, I want you to be innocent in what is evil. And Jesus echoes a very similar caution. Look with me on the screen at Matthew 10:16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. To be innocent in what is evil does not mean to be ignorant. This is not what Scripture is describing here. It doesn't mean to be unaware. That's not what innocent means here. Really, in reality, you cannot reject evil unless you know what it is, but you certainly don't want to live in it, clear, very, very clearly. It's not necessary to sift through trash in order to know what trash is. You, you can see it from a distance, you can smell it from a distance. We support a missionary work in the Kawangware district of Nairobi in Kenya. David and Ann Katanga are missionaries who lead that effort. Many of us from the church have been there on trips. I've gone there a couple times myself. And one of the things that's most shocking to you when you get to the west side of Nairobi is not only that there's 240, 250,000 people living in eight by ten literally steel huts or cement block, cinder block buildings, but that the entire thing was built on top of a landfill. Now, if you're thinking landfill, the United States of America, get that out of your mind. It's not well cared for. It's not green grass. There are no methane pipes ventilating it away. So when you first approach it, the smell is so repugnant. It causes you to want to turn away and shield your face. So one of my first responses to one of the workers when we arrived there is, what is that odor? Their response is, what odor? What are you talking about? They've lived there so long, they don't even know that they're part of it. They're not even aware. They become almost immune to it. The reality of evil is that evil things will drag us down to the place where we're at its level, and we become so accustomed to it that we can't even identify it anymore. So how do you identify it? Well, in truth, the only reliable way to recognize evil is to become thoroughly familiar with the Word of God. Amen? That's the only way. You want to identify evil for what it is? You've got to know the Word of God. The reason I find so many people not willing to engage in these issues is because in the United States, a lot of people don't know the Word of God anymore. They don't know it to the degree where they could engage in the conversation. And I mean speaking the truth in love. But for you and I, for now, we look forward to a day when Satan's attacks and all this spiritual warfare will be over. So Paul writes, verse 20, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. There's no polite way to say it. There's no other way to say it, so I'm just going to say it. Those who intentionally spread falsehood about God are the tools of Satan, That's what Scripture calls them. I'm just quoting the Bible. Now, Paul's talking about a small picture and a big picture here when he talks about the crushing of Satan. In the crushing of Satan that he's referring to, we're talking about he's going to deal with the reality of those who have deceived, and that's the small picture, but there's a much bigger picture going on here. The larger picture is this. The ultimate victory of Satan, the ultimate defeat of him and his minions is yet to happen, to be sure, just hear me on this, to be sure, Satan was defeated at the cross, and he can no longer deliver you over to eternal death if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Say amen if you agree with that. He cannot. You are protected by the power of the Holy Spirit, sealed for eternity, destined for heaven if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but in the meantime. This one who was defeated at the cross, this is a big issue, he still inflicts pain, he still brings suffering, and he is the force behind all heresy and all false truth about God. That's why Jesus calls him the father of lies, because it all originates with him. Now, if you think you've put all the pieces together and you've got this where this is going, just hang on for these last 60 seconds. Paul has borrowed a very powerful image from Genesis 3.15 when he talks about God crushing Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, you remember that's a story about the fall of man. God deals with Adam and Eve, and then he turns his laser-like focus on Lucifer. And he says, there's something that's going to happen to you. Your head will be crushed by the coming Messiah. After the fall, God deals with that one, and he says, there's going to be a death blow that's inflicted on you. So Paul attaches this crushing of Satan with the word soon, which is the word entekai. In the Greek language, it means when it happens, it is going to happen very, very rapidly. Not soon as in tomorrow, but when it happens, it's going to unfold very quickly, And the meaning behind it is it's unexpected. We know that Satan has not yet soon been crushed. He's defeated, but he's not been chained yet. That day is coming. So to borrow a phrase from an old hymn, lo, his doom is sure. And you can say amen to that one. That's the future for that evil one. So Paul has to end with the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you because you need God's grace to give you both patience and wisdom in the midst of that kind of a battle. See, you need his grace to bless you with wisdom, wisdom to recognize false teaching and false standards for what it is, Wisdom to identify it, and you need God's grace to bless you with patience when you're under attack by Satan in the midst of it, because he's still known as the prince and the power of the air. And if you've been in settings where false teaching is present, you know you need God's grace to endure. So they close very simply with verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsman. Tertius, and that's Paul's scribe, by the way. It's like his secretary. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Quartus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He's done, but he's not done, all right? There's two more verses. So we've got next week and maybe the week after, okay? I'm just saying. There's been 104 parts to this so far. Maybe there'll be 106. In the meantime, let's ask for God's grace to cover us. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have confronted us, some of us unexpectedly, didn't even see this coming, with such a harsh reality this morning but it's such a reflection of your love. It's hard to process and digest, but at the same time, God, we know that you warn because you love and you love us intimately. Father, I just want to express to you that I treasure every person in this auditorium, every person watching online. I treasure them and they are precious because they're precious to you to a degree that we cannot begin to understand. Father, that we would see each other that way, that we would hold each other as precious treasures to you, we would treat each other so differently. I I thank you for the way it's leaking out of Paul, that he really understands how precious we are to you, and so he warns because you warn Thank you for what you moved these individuals of old to write down as a reality in our world today. It's just as true now as it was then. Your word never changes because you never change. Thank you, God, that you are the rock, that you are stable in the midst of an ever changing world. So we praise you. We praise you for the truth and the dependability of your word. I pray now that you would send us out with your grace and with your blessing, especially for having dedicated this time just to knowing you better. Send us out in power to take on this week to represent the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.